This is Caleb Thompson. I, in fact, will be a girl dad, Lord willing. Welcome. It's good to see you guys. It's a delight to be here with you, um, and especially in Colorado. You know, we had a year off, and then two years in a row. It's fantastic. I was excited to see all the grass when I got here at 4.30, only to leave the dorm at, like, 6.30, and then it was all snow-covered. So, there went that. I guess... the that's why we came to Colorado anyways, to see the snow. Like Brian said, my name is Caleb Thompson. I'm the, uh, the director at Drake University in Des Moines, Iowa. Go Bulldogs. <laughs> Represent. All right, did, uh, did anyone play a white elephant gift exchange this Christmas? Okay, who, who got the best gift? Just shout it out. Or gave. Got or gave. A woman's onesie. A window, yes. You got the window from JT and Kate's wedding. An old window from the 40s, yes. What, what, bobby pins? Political bobbleheads. Brian's senior pictures. I heard about that. That's fantastic. Did anyone win $175,000 at the lottery? No. Uh, well, there's a woman who in Kentucky... She won a hundred. She she got the a scratch off ticket. You can see this picture right here. This is. She was up there. Did you see Lori? Okay. Lori. Her name's Lori. She doesn't look like me at all. But imagine this is what she looked like. Holding her jackpot, hundred seventy-five thousand dollars. Now, Lori James. When, we just, when describing the situation, she remembers being kind of ticked off because she had a $25 uh, TJ Maxx gift card. And then someone stole it, and she unwrapped these stupid lottery tickets. Stupid tickets. And then she won the jackpot, <laughs> which is pretty awesome. And I think that she would say that she's pretty satisfied with the exchange now, $175,000 versus a $25 TJ Maxx gift card. I don't know. I've never been to TJ Maxx. Maybe it's worth $175,000 worth the experience. No? Okay. Ladies? I heard most of the no's from the guys. So <laughs> maybe you'd rather have a TJ Maxx gift card. Now, what winter retreat is all about, it's all about resting. It's what winter treats about. Ultimately, resting in Christ through learning together who God is, who we are in Christ, learning from his word. And the focus of our rest this year will be full satisfaction that we have in Christ today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, and forever. And much like Lori Janes, who had, she didn't know what she had in this, in this lottery ticket, so she was dissatisfied in it. Oftentimes, we're, we can be, even though we're completely satisfied in Christ, that's the reality. We bend toward our dissatisfaction. We're dissatisfied in Christ because we forget what the passage calls the riches of his grace in Ephesians 2. Now, what we're hoping this weekend is that you would rest and rejoice in the full satisfaction that we have as a Christian in Christ Jesus. So you guys can open your Bibles if you have them to Ephesians 2. 
1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And by nature we were children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For you, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we just recognize that you are here and present with us this evening. You beat us here. You're going to be here when we leave. You're going to be with us when we leave. And we do not want to miss you, the fact that you are here tonight with us, that you're here teaching us, you're training us to know what it looks like to live a satisfied life in Christ, to understand the reality. The beginning of that journey is the fact that we were dead and now we're alive. Pierce our hearts tonight. Give us something to chew on. Help us to leave changed people because of this truth. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to climb a mountain tonight. Not in actuality. Has anyone actually climbed a mountain? Okay, you guys have a great opportunity while you're here. If you haven't climbed a mountain, you can climb a mountain. If you're able, you should climb a mountain while, while you're here. But metaphorically tonight, we're going to climb a mountain. This is the mountain of God. It's salvation summit is its peak where people pass from death to life. There's a picture. It's not up. We don't have the... Uh, over here? Oh, yeah. Okay, see that? That clan of Grandview guys from a decade ago? When you start talking in decades, you know that you're old. Max is four-tenths of a decade. This was a decade ago. It took us a 100,000th of a decade to drive here. So, this is a decade ago in Estes Park, Colorado. It's right over here. It's called Emerald Lake. If you can make it up in, into Rocky Mountain National Forest, uh, you can go there. It's a pretty easy hike. Uh, we, that's a football right there. We were playing some football on a frozen lake. It was awesome. But we were on an Emerald Lake, and it's just this huge bowl. This huge bowl, and there's mountains all around and if you were to imagine yourself, at this point in time, this is dusk. You know, it's like 4 o'clock in the evening. And you say, go to the top of that mountain. I don't know, that's like 2,000 feet. You're not going to make it. It's so, 
so, so steep, but you got to make it. If you're going to live, you got to make it up that mountain. How are we going to make it up that mountain? And where we're starting is on a frozen lake. And our frozen lake is where, is, is where we're starting today. <laughs> frozen Emerald Lake, it's the frozen, frigid lake. So that's where we're starting. A large part of understanding what it means to be alive is what it means to be dead. And this is where Paul starts his argument. And there's a lot of ways to be dead. There's physically, there's spiritually, there's emotionally, there's psychologically, there's financially, there's humorously dead. But Paul is clearly speaking about spiritual deadness. Verse 1 and 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in what you once walked. You once walked. Ephesians, you once were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were spiritually dead. What a statement. And not only that, in verse 3, he opens it wide open. He says, among whom we all lived in our passions of our flesh. Paul opens the door, not just to you, Ephesians, who he's talking to, but he opens the door to his whole entourage and the Jews that he associated himself with the Jewish Christians he associated himself with. He's saying all people, all people were once dead in their trespasses and sins. You, Campus Fellowship, were dead. Spiritually dead. This week, many of us experienced some of the most, some of the coldest wind chills that you have ever experienced in your life, or at least close to. And you're watching the news, and they're like, be careful, don't go outside, you're going to get frostbite. You could die. Do you know why they warn you? Because you could die. <laughs> you know why they warn you? Because you could get frostbite. It's a real thing. I, like, I played out this scenario with my son. There, crazy things can happen. Like, Max, he knows how to open a door one way, but he can't open it the other, day, the other way to get back inside. He gets stuck. I don't know. He goes out there sometimes on his own. Is curious. He gets stuck out there. It's not a safe place. My junior year in high school, I took a spring break trip with one of, one of my friends to his cabin in Canada. <laughs> and I should have been cued into the fact that it was not going to be warm, which is where you want to go on a spring break trip, because the place we were going to, where his cabin was on, was Snow Lake <laughs> in northern Manitoba. <laughs> And I was, I was like, hey, what should I bring? He's like, literally all of your clothes, and you're going to wear them the whole time. You're still going to be cold. But it's going to be great. And I'm like, what am I getting myself into? It is so cold that we, I, we're ice fishing. And as soon as you catch a fish, you pull it out of the water. First of all, the ice freezes over, like, instantly. So you've got to break the ice to pull the fish through. And then the fish freezes instantly. Only an hour later, when you bring it inside, it thaws out. It starts flapping around. It's kind of weird. And Minnesotans be like, dude, negative 15 degrees. If it wasn't for the wind, it's totally fine. But anyway, like it, that's a, that is a picture of death, that frozen lake. It just much like that, the Emerald Lake that we were on. It's just a pic, it's so cold. It's a picture of death. And imagine that scenario that I just drew out for you. Bitterly cold, wind ripping on a frozen lake, a hole drilled into it, big enough to, for you to get through it. And imagine someone in a swimsuit, maybe yourself, Imagine yourself in a swimsuit, <laughs> handcuffed, shackled. They gets, you get thrown into the lake, and instantly 
it freezes over. That is death. That is the situation. What hope do you have in that situation to make it on the other side alive? You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And what makes that situation hopeless? Isn't it the fact that you are powerless to do anything to save yourself? That's what makes it hopeless. And this was our scenario. We were, Christian, you were hopeless because you were, apart from Christ, powerless to escape that situation. And a situation far worse is spiritual deadness apart from Christ. Ephesians 2.12 says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, having no hope without God in the world. Why did you not have hope? Because you did not have God. Because you were separated from Christ. Okay, so what killed us? What made us spiritually dead? Sin, of course. But there's three things working together that Paul explains. The world, the flesh, and the devil. First, the world. <clears throat> Verse 2, following the course of this world. This is one aspect of walking in death. What does Paul mean when he says this? He's talking about being captive to the world's social and value systems. And right now, one of our world's social and value systems is social media, especially likes, follows, subscriptions on, on social media. And probably some of you guys here, you don't know it, but you're probably living for likes. You're kind of, you're kind of slave to your social media accounts where you're just constantly checking or, or what you're thinking about when you're posting something is, are people going to like this? Like I totally did this today when we sent out a group chat. Like Evan sent out a PSA for me in our group chat. And I looked at it later. I was like, nine likes? That's, Evan isn't very funny when he's saying my jokes. <laughs> you know? So, uh, but, but we can be captive to that. Since 2011, there have been over 240 people that have died trying to take selfies. 240 people? That's a lot of people dying trying to get likes, trying to get fame. Albert Dryland, a Danish YouTuber, fell 700 feet to his death filming a video for his channel that boasted over 200,000 followers. The closer to death you are, <clears throat> the higher the value, the more social media buzz, the more likes, the more subscribes, the more fame, the more fortune, the more notoriety. It's so tragic. To be pursuing life, but end up dead. Life in the wrong way. More of what you think is going to satisfy you. Now, none of you have died, at least not physically for social media posts. What I'm trying to communicate is that you, you won't find, we can't find true life or satisfaction in these peripheral things that lead to death. Why? Because ultimately life is 100% only found in eternity with Christ. Not following the ways of the world. Now, is every, in every single instance, is what the world says, God says, and God says opposite? No, that's not the reality. The crux of the issue is many times, most of the time, Jesus is 
what Jesus commands us a right turn, the world demands a left turn. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The culture says the opposite. The culture says, says, look out for good old number one. And Jesus says what? The first will be last. The last will be first. The culture says the greatest sin that kills is to tell people that there is sin that kills. You can do anything you want. Just don't tell people there's a right and a wrong thing to do. But Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those, those two things are mutually exclusive. You cannot have both. And the world often tells us that there is life where there's only more death. To follow the world is to plunge yourself into a frozen lake that instantly freezes over the minute that you're underwater. Number two, what kills us, the flesh. Verse three, among whom you, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. It's the flesh is the old man inside of the believer carrying out the desires of the mind and the body. The, old, the, the Christian still has their flesh. We don't get it rid of our flesh, flesh what Paul calls the old man, until, until God gives us our resurrected bodies in glorification. So we're stuck with this flesh that pulls us toward the world, toward our inner desires. And is it wrong to seek pleasure and joy? Seriously, is it wrong? Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Of course, it's, it's not wrong. It's, it's how we were hardwired. We were hardwired to seek joy. We were hardwired to experience pleasure. Why did God create us with those desires? He made us to be satisfied. And this is why Satan's argument to Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 2.17, eat the apple. But God told us not to. We're going to die. Now surely you will not die. In fact, what was the question that was running in their brain? When Satan said that, you will surely not die. It wasn't, do I desire pleasure and joy? No, that was a given. They're hardwired to do so, and we are too. That's why the YouTuber <laughs> fell to his death. Sorry, that wasn't funny. That's why... <laughs> that's what drives you and I to wake up at 4.30 in the morning to go skiing. To climb a mountain. That's also what drove Jesus to his ultimate sacrifice. The joy set before him. In Hebrews, he endured the cross, scorning at shame. Now, their question was not, do they desire joy and satisfaction? Of course they did. It was, is God the avenue to get there? 
Is he good? Does he have my best intentions? And the same nagging question is the question that runs through everyone's life in the whole entire world if they give God a thought, Christians and non-Christians, is does God desire our good? And the obvious answer is yes. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give life, that's Jesus, and give it abundantly. And part of life is true joy and true satisfaction and pleasures at his right hand forevermore. But the flesh is bent towards sin, independence, and defaults toward that question. Is God even for my good? It's natural to struggle with that question, but the fact is that, yes, he wants your good, and your good is only found with Christ. Number three, thing that drives us to sin is the devil. Verse 2b, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan. That's Satan he's talking about. He's a liar, and he's still lying today. And one of the reasons we forget the satisfaction we have at Christ is because Satan is lying. So how does he do it? He takes our flesh, and where the world and our flesh align with each other, and he baits the hook with the world. And he deceives us. He did this to Jesus. You know, Jesus knew that he was going to rule and reign. And he takes Jesus to the top of the mountain. And did Jesus want to go to the cross? <laughs> For the joy set before him, he scorned a shame. But you remember that conversation he had with God? Father, if, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, Let it pass. He knew he was going to rule and reign, and Satan offered it to him before his suffering, before his death, before plunging into the deep for us. He offered it to him. Jesus said, It's not true life. It's not joy. That's not satisfying. That is not God's plan. It's not God's design. He's good at it. We are not God in the flesh. <laughs> and so we get deceived a lot easier. Satan baits us. He uses the world, uses our flesh. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. The world, the flesh, and the devil <clears throat> leads us into death. And so here's a principle. And why I spent so much time talking about you being dead your former deadness. And if you're not in Christ, this is you. Why? <laughs> because the joy of being alive in Christ is amplified by the reality of the despair of death apart from Christ. It's part of the joy. It's the thing that amplifies and the satisfaction that is in Christ I mean, doesn't the sunshine seem a lot brighter after it's been raining for a week? And 34 we got here is 34 degrees. And I was like, man, I could walk outside with a t-shirt on. But that's only because it was negative 34 degrees a week ago. 
Doesn't a, doesn't a three-point Minnesota Vikings victory seem much sweeter after being down by 33 points only to tie it, take it into overtime, and kick a game-winning field goal as overtime expires to clinch the NFL's greatest comeback in history? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Skull, baby. And the only reason that it was cool, like, let's be real. The Minnesota Vikings have been in 11 single possession games this entire year. A field goal at the end of the game ain't no thing. The thing that made it sweet was being down by 33 points, 33 to 0 at halftime. The death of that. Does that make sense? Of course it makes sense to you Vikings fans. Sorry, I just had to give a little shout out. Knowing the road, the road of knowing the fullness of being alive in Christ and experiencing the fullness of the riches of his grace begins, in some respects, by plumbing the depths of your former deadness. So tomorrow morning, when you get up late and come here and have a session and then have time afterwards, this is a retreat. You're going to have time to go plumb the depths of your deadness. Plumb the depths of your former deadness and your former hopelessness. That is part of understanding the fullness of joy in Christ. So number two, we're climbing a mountain and we've reached Salvation Summit. Not because of us, because we were dead in the frozen lake iced over, but we're made alive in Christ. Look at verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So we start at the bottom of the mountain. We look at <laughs> up at the mountain of God the salvation summit with no way to arrive on our own, no hope, certain death. But we got up there because of Christ. And what do you do when you get to a top of the mountain? You rejoice. You're tired, depending on how big the mountain is. You take a seat. You reflect. You drink in the beauty of the view. But part of what you do is you look at where you came from. You reflect on where you came from. So how do we get here? How do we get from death to life? Three things that we've got to see from verses 4 and 5. First, but God. But God, it begins with him. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he had for us. It didn't start with you, it started with God. His grace, his mercy, seeing our deadness and our position and reaching out his loving arm, his powerful arm to save us not because of you or me, but because of God. 
And let's look at the record in the Word of God. Because the, the whole Bible can be summed up in that phrase, but God. Adam and Eve sinned, but God clothed them with skins. Abraham was going to offer Isaac, but God supplied the ram. Israel was enslaved, but God rescued them. Israel was bound to recapture, but God parted the Red Sea. You were dead passes in, dead in your trespasses and sins, but God. And you have to notice that on the other side, the former side of but God is always always a certain type of death. A death of hope for Adam and Eve. Eve. A death of his long-awaited son in Isaac for Abraham. A death of freedom for the Israelites. A physical death for the Israelites if God did not part the Red Sea. And of course, a spiritual death for you and I. But God sums up the whole Bible, and we can't miss it. It didn't start with you and I. It didn't start with the Israelites. It didn't start with Adam and Eve. It started with God. But God, because of his goodness and his kindness, we were hopeless, and he was shackled in the frozen lake, and he plunged his hand deep and pulled us out and carried us to the top of the mountain, not because of us, but solely because of him. Kind of like a ski lift. We use no power. We just sit in that chair and we get carted all the way up to the top. Second thing that we got to let sink deep. Even when you have passed from death to life, even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, the Bible can be further summed up, but God even when. But God, even when. Even when is, is the essence of grace. Of a mercy from God. And not only that, but going further than mercy to grace. Even when is the essence of that. Even when Adam and Eve sinned. They brought sin into the world even when they did that. God clothed them. Even when Abraham took his matters into his own hands with Hagar. Even when Israel was worshiping other gods. Even when Israel was complaining in the desert. Even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Even when there was no hope. It's the essence of grace. But God, even when, third, with Christ, you have been made alive totally apart from yourself with Christ. He did it. And it's with him. He didn't do it and walk away. He united us to him. All the realities of the Christian life are true because of our union with Christ. Because we are with Christ. Dane Ortland in a book called Deeper. If you're not reading a book right now, I recommend it. 
if you're fond of purchasing books because they're pretty and they're going to sit on your shelf, I also recommend it. It's got a beautiful cover. He says, union with Christ is an umbrella doctrine within which every benefit of salvation is subsumed. Union with Christ is the umbrella doctrine within which every benefit of salvation is subsumed. We experience every benefit in salvation because of this doctrine that is right here, that we are alive, made alive with Christ. The fact that the Christian is truly satisfied is because of our union with Christ. The fact that we can talk about being alive and it being a reality is because we are united with Christ. Freedom, instead of slavery, which we're going to talk about this week, because of Christ, being a child, being a friend, being an ambassador, all of the benefits that we have are derived from the reality that the Christian is united with Christ. And how do we know that we're united with Christ? How do you know you're united with Christ? Are you united with Christ? How do you know? I'm going to tell you. Thanks for asking. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Christian is sealed. A guarantee sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of the Christian. Well, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with being united with Christ? To have ultimate union with Christ. Acts 16, 6-7. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So, the Holy Spirit forbade them to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the same Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit of Jesus, it's the same thing. Our union with Christ is the real, it, it, it comes in the package of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of Jesus. It is the same power that resurrected Christ from the grave, and it's the same power that lives in the believer. And it's the reason why we can truly say, we can truly say, if we are in Christ, we are united, in, we were, we were united with Him. And it's why we can truly say that if we're united with Him, we have the realities, the benefits that he gives from being united with him are ours. They are realities. Forever, not lost, guaranteed. Our union with Christ is the thing that makes us alive. But God, even when with Christ. So the winter retreat... This winter retreat, rejoice in the fact that you were made alive completely apart from you. In fact, in spite of you. 
You were powerless. God resurrected your soul. So tomorrow morning, as you plumb the depths of your deadness, or tonight, as you're having conversations, you're staying up late and having conversations, and you're plumbing the depth of your deadness, praying and asking God that the reality of your former death would hit you as you're plumbing the depths. Depths. Rejoice also that you are on the top of the mountain, that you are on salvation summit, that Christ has brought you there apart from you, in spite of you. You're at the top of the mountain. And lastly, part of being at the top of the mountain is surveying the land, looking forward to what we're experiencing in the future, today, tomorrow, and forever. So we're going to spend the next portion of our time zeroing in on the view from the top. And there's three accomplishments that this passage tells us are realities that, that, uh, for us that God accomplished for us. And they culminate in one focal point. One focal point. First, one reality. You're saved or justified in Christ. By grace you have been saved. Because of God's love and mercy, he justified the Christian. No long to sin, bear a penalty. We're free from the penalty of sin because of what Christ has done on the cross. He saved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and he saved us, God raised us from death to life. Number two, he raised us. And notice the tense on these, it's past tense. This is a reality. It happened. It exists now. If you're in Christ. Verse six, and raised us up with him. Who's tasted the full wrath of God? Jesus. And who lived to tell about it? Jesus. He lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we should have died. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit lives inside of the Christian. And He resurrected us. And notice the union with Christ. That the fact that he's raised us, he's raised us up with him. There's our union with him again. We are similarly raised up and resurrected with him. Once spiritually dead, now spiritually resurrected. No one goes to a seminary and seminary, cemetery. People go to people go to seminaries. People also go to cemeteries, but they're dead. But no one goes to a cemetery and raises people from the dead. How much, and, and that's just physically. People don't raise from the dead except for Jesus. But he raises us spiritually. How much crazier is that? That he, that he puts eternal breath 
back into our spiritual lungs when, after we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It's not a small thing. It's a huge thing. We're saved, we're raised, and we're seated. We're seated. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Greek, Greek word used is sunkathizo, or with to sit. So where is Jesus sitting now? Ephesians 1, 20-23, that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above every ruler and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Where is this Jesus? Who fills all in all, sitting at the right hand of God, at his right hand in the heavenly places, the place of ultimate authority. Jesus is currently ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. He's in power. He has the power. But what does it mean for us if he's in power now? If we're raised with Christ, then we get to rule with Christ. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds awesome. That we're going to rule and reign with Christ in our glorified bodies into eternity at the right hand of the Father And it's already accomplished. It's just not realized yet. This is an already not yet type thing that we will realize when God glorifies us with our new bodies. But second, it means rest. The term seated is what a king would do when you're sitting down at the right hand of the the, the Father. You have authority and the work is done. If the work wasn't done, he wouldn't be seated. So if the work is done for us, we can sit. Is the work done? Of course it is. It is. It's done. It's finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross. What's finished? The work. The work is done. The barrier between God and man that the high priest he would go into once a year, he had to be really careful to be, to be ceremonially clean, at risk of his own life. That barrier was the barrier, a symbol between, of the barrier between God and man. And when Jesus died, from top to bottom, that thick curtain, it was ripped. And who can rip the curtain from top to bottom? but God himself. God ripped the curtain to symbolize that when he said it is finished, the barrier between God and man was taken away. It symbolized the reality that Jesus bridged the gap between God and man. 
that man could be reconciled back to God. That's what it means that the work is finished and he sits. So what does it mean for us now? It means that at winter retreat, where the emphasis is on rest, we can say it with a serious face. We can tell you guys that this conference is actually about rest. It's not a conference, it's a retreat. That's a big deal. It's about rest. And we're serious. You guys can rest. You guys should rest. And this is hard work to rest. Because we're addicted to likes and subscribes and follows. So disconnect and rest in Christ. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get exhausted climbing the mountain. That's part of the enjoying the beauty of God's creation. That's part of the rest. Part of the rest is digging into God's word and digging into the even-wenness of his grace in our lives. But the fact that Jesus sits on his throne and that we sit with him is that you guys can actually rest today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And every single day for the rest of your life, the reality is that you can rest in the finished work of Christ Jesus that brought you to the top of the mountain. Why did he accomplish these things for us? He tells us, but the question is still going to remain, God, why did you do it? It's because he loved us. He tells us that in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which he had for us, made us alive. So why did he accomplish these things for us? The immeasurable riches of his grace Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of, of his grace and kindness. What are these? The immeasurable riches of his grace. What are they? You're on a mountain. You get to the top of the mountain. And then you see mountain after mountain after mountain, after mountain. And you see that he brought you from death to life. You're over salvation summit. But he's also, with that, made freedom available. And he's also, with that, made being a child of God available. All the things that we're going to talk about this week, these are the immeasurable riches of his grace. So I'm not going to talk about those things in depth, in depth, but I do want to talk about one thing. That we're not going to talk about the rest of the trip. The wellspring of life. What are the immeasurable riches of his grace? There's a billion things that forever, for all of eternity. God's going to continue to enlighten our eyes and our souls to the fact that, that 
it, for all of eternity, wait, that's, we get that, and we get that, and we get that, and we get that. The immeasurable riches of his grace, it's immeasurable. It's going to go on and on and on and on. You can't plumb the depths of the riches of his grace. One of these that we experience right here, right now, is the wellspring of life. John 4 is the story of the woman at the well. Jesus asks the woman for a drink in the hot day sun. And she corrects him. You shouldn't be talking to me, a woman, much less a Samaritan. He alludes to his heavenly nature. She kind of scoffs, said, are you greater than our father Jacob? And here's his response. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, thirst is a term of dissatisfaction. And Jesus says that when you drink this water, woman, there will be a spring of life welling up inside of you. And that is true when you believe as well. Is that there is a well inside of you of water where you will never thirst again. When you believe, it's the Holy Spirit. That life wells up inside of us. And it's never ending we will never thirst when we are drinking from that well. We will never thirst again. It never runs out. So, what if you don't feel it? If you are, if you say, I'm. I'm a Christian, I believe, I trust in Christ. But all of this satisfaction that you're talking about, the experience of feeling alive, what if I don't feel satisfied? What if I don't feel alive? You are satisfied. You are. That's a fact. This is what the Word of God tells us. Facts over feelings, I believe they say. It's a reality. So, so if it's a reality, you need to stir it up. The well is deep. It's a wellspring of life, but it's deep. But there's water down there. That's why we came here to Colorado to give you guys time to dig. To, to take the bucket and plumb the depths into the well. And the greatest stir of emotions to the reality that you are on top of the mountain is to meditate on what brought you there. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that 
no one may boast. And obviously for you to ascend to the summit of salvation necessitated that Jesus Christ descended. Not just to earth and not just in an earthly body. Not just to the daily discomfort of offering himself to people to serve them. But he condescended himself under the wrath of God. He descended into the frozen lake of hopelessness to bring you forever to the mountaintop. And by his grace, it allows you to experience the realities of his grace, never-ending, total satisfaction. So tomorrow when you climb a mountain, and I hope that you do, you need to remember Christ's suffering. And when you get to the top of the mountain, you need to remember that Christ bringing you to the summit of salvation, death to life by his grace. And when you sit down to rest and look over the beauty of God's creation, you remember the immeasurable riches of his grace to us and his kindness. And if you have one takeaway from right here tonight that I don't want you to miss, is that you are on the mountain. You are forever on the mountain. If you are in Christ, you are. You are alive. You are raised. You are on the mountain. Let's pray. Campus Fellowship is a student organization designed to come alongside local churches to reach college campuses. If you found this encouraging, we invite you to subscribe or follow for more content or go to our website, campusfellowship.com, for other resources. Thanks for listening.